This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, friendo, Steve here. Bellers. And welcome back to Going In Rock Countout. On today's episode, given what we saw at the Royal Rumble, the shocking, I guess not really that shocking, but man, it was well executed, betrayal of Sami Zayn to Roman Reigns, a chair shot to the back, uh, Jay Uso walking out on the bloodline. What's going to happen next? Uh, who knows? I don't know. Who uh, knows? I don't know. Yeah. Do you know? No, no. I have Does no inside know? information. You do? I know. I have no inf- inside information. None. You no know inside information. Wow. <laughs> you really twisting my words together. What a shocking betrayal that has been. Anyways, uh, so on today's episode of Count Out, we're going to talk about shocking betrayals in the world of wrestling. So there's a couple of caveats here. Number one, uh, none of these are behind the scenes betrayals like the Montreal screw job uh, because. There's way too many of them. Oh, yes. <laughs> like the, the world the, the of wrestling is right. The wrestling yeah. is just littered with betrayals. <laughs> yes. It really is. It really is. Uh, it was it kind of interesting trying to whittle this down to, uh, to 10. Uh, but we do have some honorable mentions. And I wanted to honorably mention a different one first before we dive into this. And it's sort of like one of the first biggest uh, uh, on-screen betrayals uh, in the WWF, I think it might no, it wasn't the WWF, but I'm speaking about Larry Zabisco turning on Bruno San Martino. I watched a bunch of that stuff last night, and it the, the crowd reaction is pretty off the charts. Of course, Larry Zabisco was Bruno San Martino's protege after I, after how did he become his protege, Steve? Uh, he, he stalked his house, he and wandered he, into he, his backyard. That's what I was. That's what I remember hearing. So he didn't, I actually went back last night while I was watching this stuff. Okay, good. And, and I was like, okay, wait a second. I know we heard that somewhere. I want to hear it from somebody's mouth. So I watched a Larry Zabisco shoot interview where he talked about training with Bruno. Mm-hmm. He was 16 years old. He wanted to get into wrestling. He knew where he lived because it was just down the street. And he was driving past there because he said he used to drive past there all the time. So he was stalking him basically. And he noticed Bruno was in his backyard sunbathing. And so he went up to his edges and he started like invading his backyard. It wasn't, he wandered back there. He went into his backyard via some hedges that he was crawling under. And uh, Bruno looked and was like, the hell is this guy doing? And then he took him under his wing. Wow. I think Bruno understood, man, you know, uh, I'd rather maybe keep this crazy guy close to me because if need be, I can take him down. That could be. Um, with whatever his finisher used to be, probably a bear hug. I don't know what his finisher Oh, yeah, was. punch, knee, something, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know. So after, uh, after you know, a, a, a fairly decent career, but always feeling like he was under Bruno San Martino's shadow, um, they, they went and had an exhibition match that turned chippy pretty quickly, especially on the part of Larry Zbysko, who at a certain point just started putting boots to the elder Bruno San Martino, who at that point was way past his prime. Yeah, that's uh, 1980. Yeah. 
and uh, and Bruno, you know, confused about this. At one point, there was like a vicious. They took their their feud all the way to Shea Stadium in front of thirty six thousand people. Match, yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, what's his face? Abisco took like a wooden chair to Bruno's head, mm-hmm. an unprotected headshot back in eighty three or whatever it was. Um, but a fascinating stuff, really cool stuff. Eventually, Bruno got his shit back. Um, and, you know, Zabisco, the living legend, uh, you know, ended up as a famed WCW commentator. And perhaps most famous to uh, wrestling fans these days for saying, he's in the wall. Well, wrestling fans that are familiar with going in raw anyway. Yeah. Because that was a favorite of ours. Oh, you got that right, buddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, let's go ahead and dive into it. We'll talk about the honorable mentions. And of course, we'd like y'all to let us know what your guys' favorite because we probably missed out a bunch of them. There's what a lot. Are your f- There's a ton favorite betrayals in the comments below. Um, also, I want to mention uh, tomorrow on the channel, uh, that is Sunday, we've got a WCW Nitro Episode 1 Retro Review going up right now. Also, there's a, a, a poll available right now for $5 and up patrons and YouTube channel members to vote on the next retro review, which we'll be recording live for the $5 on patrons and the YouTube channel members this coming Friday. Uh, and uh, and it's going to be either uh, WWF Raw Episode 1 or ECW Hardcore Television Episode 1. Mm-hmm. So be on the lookout for that poll. Uh, and there's all sorts of other stuff there on the Patreon YouTube channel memberships that you can get access. So let's dive into this, Larson. Number 10. 10. Triple H tells DX to suck it. Several times, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of Triple H on this list. We probably could have put some more. Um, so if let's go all the way back to WrestleMania 14 because the story kind of starts there. So WrestleMania 14, of course, Shawn Michaels lost to Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event. It was the start of the, the, the Austin era. And on the Raw after WrestleMania 14, that's when Triple H turned to his friend. He yeah. turned to the click and brought yeah. X-Pac back to WWF. At the end of the show, in a cage match, New Age Outlaws uh, joined DX as well. And while, you know, prior to WrestleMania 14, DX heels, New Age Outlaw heels, it was a group that uh, pretty quickly uh, w- the fans really got behind, and they were more or less baby faces like right away. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> they were baby faces for the, uh, the whole next year, more or less. Yeah. Um, let's go to January 25th, 1999, about a year. Ten months or so later, eh, nine months later, eight months later, whatever the math is. Uh, on Raw, China turns on Triple H, joins the corporation. Yeah. And that was a harbinger of things to come because almost one year after 14, WrestleMania 15 is when Triple H turned heel. Uh, helped Shane McMahon beat X-Pac. Uh, so Shane retained the European title WrestleMania 15. Now Triple H is in the corporation too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that was a fair trade? Because earlier... You know, Kane, uh, uh, Triple H and Kane had a match. Kane was booted from the corporation so that they could bring on Triple H and China. Is that a good trade in your eyes? Yeah. That's a good trade. It's yeah, a great that's trade. A trade. Yeah, that's an yeah. absolutely fantastic trade. Yeah. Guys running the company now. The other guys, the other guys, you know, running a prominent county in Tennessee, though. So. Well, he's mayor. <laughs> I know, but it's like it's like a county mayor, which is kind of a bigger. It's like it's like kind of like the governor of like a large chunk of the state. Yeah, that that confuses me. I'm used to it does confuse City. me too. I'm not, not gonna yeah, County. I'm not gonna dive too deep into that. Yeah, I don't anyways. understand it. But he's anyways. a jackass. Let's move on. Regardless, yeah, this is one uh, the first of many uh, 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 heel turns, betrayals. Triple well, H so the funny thing is, 
by the time October rolled around that year, GX was basically still together. Like when Stephanie and Triple H did their thing, there were still kind of the McMahon-Helmsley era. DX was still basically a thing. Um, but Triple H can't help himself. Eventually, he was just like, I just want to go solo. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to do this thing anymore. And so he went solo. Um, and then in 2002, when uh, Shawn Michaels came back and joined the NWO, and then that didn't go anywhere, Triple H was like, uh, apparently HBK, if I remember correctly, uh, swung a deal to get Triple H onto the Raw brand and uh, and so he could reunite with his buddy. And uh, mind you, HBK had not been in an actual match at that point. He was just there. He was just to, to be there. And, uh, and so they were like, hey, let's be DX again. So they come out and the fans are all going crazy and they got their DX shirts on and they're doing the suck it thing. And then they get in there and Triple H does the let's get ready to suck it thing. And then uh, uh, he's about to do uh, more DX stuff just right there in the ring. He gives him HBK a pedigree. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a weird thing. I remember watching this live and being like, that's weird. So he gives him a pedigree. It's like, oh no, he's, you know, he laid out HBK the next week. Um, there's a thing where HBK gets attacked in the parking lot. And, but Triple H is like, oh, my friend, what happened to my friend? Oh. And then HBK is, and they do the thing on the monitor, and HBK is like, yeah, uh, look, the security cam footage, it's you. And he's like, that's right, it's me. And I'm like, why wouldn't anybody know this? Like, it was weird. And it's funny because I looked this storyline up. I remember even thinking that was weird back then. I'm like, yeah. how is it not him? He just turned on him a week before. Yeah. And, uh, and then I remember looking this up on Reddit, and uh, or I think it was Reddit, and somebody was like, wasn't this kind of weird that it was like clear that it was him? And then everybody in the comments were like, yeah, it was obvious, but this was awesome. Like, to a T, everybody was like, oh, this is so great. I don't That's know. Maybe, yeah, it was really weird. So anyways, he turned on him, and then they ended up doing that great match at uh, whatever it was, SummerSlam or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, SummerSlam, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he had and the brown was- pants on. Yeah. No, that was Survivor Series when, when Shawn Michaels had the brown right. pants on Elimination yeah. Chamber. That's that was right. That's his right. second match back. Yeah, yeah, because Summer, SummerSlam, I think it was a street fight because he had he was, jeans on, right? It was supposed to be just a one-off. It was supposed to be yeah, a one-off right. thing. And then he was like, oh, I can wrestle. I'm stre- I am I learned how to stretch my back a little bit, so I feel mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. He could have done that four years ago. You know, maybe the time away in the long, and, you know, eventually was good for him. Yeah, I think so. He was a mess. He was during those four years. He got his shit together. He did. He um, did. And, uh, and I think without getting his shit together, I don't know if he ever would have come back to the ring. Yeah. So, of course, they had like a long rivalry and then they got back together, I think, in like 06 or something as DX. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't think they ever, I don't think Triple H turned on him again. Not that I recall, but it wouldn't surprise no. me because Triple H turned on everybody. He turned on everybody always. We're going to get some more of that oh, yes. in just a moment. But first, Larson, number nine. Nine. HBK super kicks Marty Jannetty through the barbershop I mean, window. That's kind of he, two things put together. He super kicked him, then put him through the barbershop. <laughs> I know, but that is one of those uh, wrestling Mandela effect things yeah. is that people think that he super kicked him through the window. He super kicks him, and then, and then, and then well, and then Marty Jannetty tries to jump through the window. Yeah, according to Heenan. Yes, he tried yeah. to jump through the window to escape Shawn Michaels. So, of course, the Rockers, a right. uh, uh, tag team going back to the AWA days, uh, they eventually, I mean, if. Uh, if my memory serves from watching the Shawn Michaels 80 biography, they got signed by WB, got fired, mm-hmm. and then got brought back later on down the line. Uh, got fairly popular. Uh, won the tag titles in a match that uh, on TV never happened because the turnbuckle broke. 
Yeah. So their their one tag title reign was never officially recognized. Yeah. Um, and so uh, seemingly because of infighting between them, if not maybe other reasons, uh, they 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 broke up seemingly both behind cameras and in front of the cameras. So apparently yeah. there was uh, some <clears throat> some beef with with money, where apparently you know depending on whose account you believe, Janetti mm-hmm. was like, hey, we can get you, we can get a deal with WCW. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and a guaranteed deal, and then but Jeanette it says no, it was it was HBK pushing for them to leave WWE regardless. Apparently, Vince was gonna let them go, mm-hmm. um, and then Shawn Michaels like no, I don't want that to happen. And then he he they both stayed, and then eventually the 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 turn happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there was apparently <clears throat> a backstage fight between Shawn Michaels and Jeanette. That mm-hmm. was instigated seemingly by Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. Booze was involved. Um, uh, so there's just seemed to be a lot of beef between Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. It seemed inevitable there was to be some sort of split happening. January 11th, 1992 on the Wrestling Challenge on the set of Brutus's Barbershop. Mm-hmm. It happened. Where it yeah. seemed like, so Marty's like, hey, I'm going to turn my back. If you want to walk away, that's fine. But if you want to shake my hand... And work this out. Let's do it. And I'm thinking to myself, watching this. Well, if your back's turned to Shawn Michaels, he has to turn you around to shake your hand. Yeah. Well, why would you turn your back to him, anyways? So Shawn Michaels turned him around. And shook Booze his hand. was involved. That's why Larson. Booze maybe, was involved. Maybe. And so they super kicked him not through the window, picked him up, and then put him through the window. Yeah. And the crowd was just sort of like ah, but it wasn't like a big ah. There wasn't like a big Wilhelm. Well, probably because there. there was like 50 people in the audience. This is on a, a TV studio. <laughs> I, I watched this last night and it's kind of funny though. Like, you just hear like <laughs> in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Smart yeah. move, Michaels. Um, yeah. You know, and sadly that moment led to the familiar colloquialism in wrestling. Who's the Marty Janetti? <laughs> Whenever there's a tag team, which one's the Janetti? Yeah. Oof. I mean, of course, Shawn Michaels went on to become one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. Yeah. Marty Jannetty, not so much. Marty Jannetty posts some of the most uncomfortable Facebook posts I've ever read in my life. I mean, if, if, you know, if the Mount Rushmore of wrestling including included uh, who can write the most uncomfortable Facebook post, then he might be on there. (laughs) Otherwise, regardless, uh, despite his, uh, uh, his, uh, you know, new rockers, partnership with uh what was it like al snow right it was al snow is leaf cassidy yeah uh unfortunately that failed to capture the magic that mm-hmm. the michaels Janetti duo yeah had. and you know they, they uh, hbk and Janetti feuded on and off um here and there th- over the next few years yeah they uh, tried to make something out of Janetti. they really they did i feel like he probably prevented a little bit of that from happening yeah i mean he was a good wrestler but yeah i mean yeah, he just wasn't. He wasn't Shawn Michaels. No, he was the Janetti, Lars. Yeah, he was the Janetti. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on here. Number eight. Eight. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well. Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Owen Hart gives Bret Hart the boot. So yeah. uh, Owen returned to the WWF ring in the fall of 1993 uh, when Bret Hart's feud with Jerry Lawler had been temporarily sidetracked. So this is all from Wikipedia. So uh, <laughs> I just copy and pasted here. So don't read this verbatim, Steve. Well, I'm adding a couple like you know oh, extra okay. uh, adjectives and stuff. Oh, and, gotcha, gotcha, you know, gotcha. Some first names. <laughs> so this, I, I, this, in a lot of ways, this is like kind of the most, sorry, the least dramatic heel turn in some capacity. It's very, it's very 1993-1994. This is um, the only one I didn't revisit out of the entire All right, list. So, so we go to Survivor Series. So Owen is hurt, comes back in 93, and he's part of Brett's team at Survivor Series, which includes the rest of the, the Hart family. You got Bruce, yeah. you got Keith, you got Brett, you got Owen. Owen, and they're was, supposed Stu, to be, was Stu sitting uh, ringside? I'm sure Stu and, 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 and Helen were there. Um and so they're supposed to face a team headed by Lawler. Lawler was hurt. Shawn Michaels was uh, uh, Lawler's replacement. So at one point during the match, uh, Brett's sent towards the ropes. Owen has, happens to be standing there with his back turned. He gets knocked off the ropes or the apron, hits the barricade. Um, and so after the match, Owen and Brett, Owen's mad at Brett because he thinks Brett did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's some, there's some tension there. In the, in the family so you got Stu there and all the other Hart brothers trying to like you know chill everything calm out, down yeah. calm it down yeah. so eventually Owen is like cutting a promo saying I'm tired of being in your shadow Brett uh, uh, I want to match with you and then Brett mm-hmm. responds in another promo saying under no circumstances will I ever wrestle my brother yeah. it's not going to happen so eventually they patch things up mm-hmm. heading into Rumble 94 in fact Brett got them a tag title shot against the Quebecers Mm-hmm. And it's going fine until, uh, for some reason. So I, this bit is is interesting. So um, Brett's trying to run the ropes, I think. And so Johnny Polo, Raven, mm-hmm. yeah, Raven, lowers the second rope, and mm-hmm. so Brett goes flying to the floor. But unless you kind of don't know the setup, it literally looks like Brett turns around, just ejects himself out of the ring because <laughs> the timing's a little off. Yeah. Um, and so once he's out there, the Quebecers proceed to break every rule imaginable to destroy his knee, yet there is not a disqualification at any juncture. Well, what do they do, for example? They literally example. take a plastic chair from the crowd and dump it on his leg. You can't do that. I know. That's a disqualification. I know. And so they're wrecking his knee, and at one point, and Owen's like, come on, this is insane. Stop this, ref. And the ref's not doing anything. I mean, some yeah. of it's behind the ref's back, but not all of it. 
Yeah. The Quebecers have him out, seemingly on the out on the floor forever, destroying his knee they, in the ring, destroying his knee more back outside the ring. It's just, it's just they're wrecking his knee completely and totally. And so eventually, Brett tries to put on a sharpshooter and can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so Rasta says, "Oh, Brett can't do sharpshooter match over." <laughs> well, to be fair, if he can't give his signature move, why are you even having exactly the match, in the first match place? over? Yeah. So then Owen gets in the ring. You're never going to win this thing without your sharpshooter. I know. Unless Yokozuna's in there, then then Brett can find a way. Then you can um, fall on him, yeah. Yes. So uh, so then Owen gets in the ring. Rather being concerned for his brother, he's given Brett the business about not winning the tag titles. Mm-hmm. And eventually, he gives him a, he, eventually Brett gets to his feet. Owen gives him a kick to the side of the knee and leaves. Oh, wow. And uh, so that leads to uh, WrestleMania 10. Of course, Brett later that night would win the Royal Rumble along with Lex mm-hmm. Luger. Yeah, right. Um, and that leads to their match at WrestleMania 10. Fantastic mm-hmm. bout. Probably the best oh, match. Yeah. You know, one of the two best uh, matches on that card along with the latter match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. Yeah, no, it was a great match. Um, and it was it was the feud kind of through that spring and summer leading up to their cage match at SummerSlam 94. Um, and, it you know, after Owen beat Brett at WrestleMania 10 and after Brett won the title in the main event, there's that great bit where Owen comes out to the ramp Mm-hmm. And just the look on his face is like, I beat you. Yeah. And yet you're champion. He's like, I should be champion. Exactly. And so the jealousy yeah. and like, you know, the feeling that from Owen's perspective, he's still under Brett's shadow uh, yeah. really drove him all that summer. Owen went on to win King of the Ring uh, that spring and then ultimately lost to Brett in that cage match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 94. When was the, uh, when was the backland stuff? That was 95, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, that's when Diesel won the title, yeah. Yeah, that's right. From 95, yeah. yeah. So they're still feuding all the way through there, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, because wasn't, didn't like, uh, who threw it? Wasn't like the, the Backlund thing, like Owen threw in a towel or something? Yeah. 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 yeah oh, he convinced right. to, he convinced his mom to throw the towel in. Oh, even worse. He convinced mom to do it. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Clearly, I didn't retain much of it. But uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, right, I mean, that was, that was probably one of the, the, the more prominent and, and, hotter feuds in WB during that era when a lot well, of that stuff era, creatively was pretty tepid. That era was, uh, yeah, bereft of, of hot anything. You know, it's interesting, too. Here in, uh, on something to wrestle with, I, I believe it's Pritchard saying that he had to convince Vince to have, like, I think it was specifically the Hardys feud. And, like, Vince was adamant, oh, no one wants to see brothers fight. I remember that as well. And I wonder if there was some difference there I don't know. I yeah, I remember that. I remember that as well. And there was another instance that I was thinking of as well that wasn't this one. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, wait a second, they were brothers and they fought too. Mm-hmm. So I I forget which one it was. But uh, yeah, I don't know why there, there had to have been something else there with the Hardy Boys. Maybe I mean the only thing I can think is maybe Vin, that might have just been Vince bullshitting because he just liked the Hardys as an act. That could be. And maybe he felt that like Jeff was the thing and Matt wasn't or vice versa. And maybe they needed each other. Maybe that was just, I, that that's all be. I could think. You that know? could be. And his excuse was no one wants to see brothers fight. That could be. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, let's move on to number seven. Seven. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa turns on John Johnny Gargano. John. So this is probably like one of the top stories like from NXT. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely the... I mean, it's funny because it was sidelined like twice because of injuries, and so it never really had like a final, final payoff. 
but it did last about two years or so. And what they got out of it was really, really good. And the story yeah. beats, you know, would always reference previous story beats. Everything made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And you see some of that playing out now, given that was Triple H and NXT. Mm-hmm. You see that playing out these days with the bloodline. Mm-hmm. And whenever people say, man, when has there been a story like this? This is the first thing that sort of comes to it mind. It really does. It really does. Um, Be- this is yeah. one of the few wrestling stories that I can think of that rises above a lot of the tropes common in professional wrestling and yeah. you know that that first match against them or between them mm-hmm. after Ciampa came back from injury it was like it it was so it was steeped in so much symbolism yeah right yeah the crutch wasn't just a crutch the knee brace wasn't just a knee brace yeah. it all had meaning beyond them being used as weapons and that's yeah. that's something I don't I, not that I, that I can think of is terribly common in professional wrestling storytelling it's not the level of detail like that um, over such a extended feud mm-hmm. is is really insane. And in fact, you can go back. I saw I found this great article um, from what is it? The signature spot dot com um, that breaks this down. And again, I copy and pasted a lot of this stuff here on our notes, but it has a timeline basically. Mm-hmm. And even going back to the Cruiserweight Classic uh, where Champagne uh, Gargano were matched up against each other. Even before that, when they were, when they were, you know, uh, 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 I want to say extras in NXT, but they were per appearance, per appearance deals. Yeah, yeah, they, and they got themselves over. Yeah, yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, there was there was a bit in the cruiserweight classic mm-hmm. when Champa wouldn't he wouldn't hit uh, his his V trigger his running knee basically on Gargano and Gargano ended up rolling him up to advance and they had that great moment in the middle of the ring. Um, where they were just sitting there and like, man, this didn't feel great. You know, like somebody had to win. This didn't feel great. And that moment of hesitation from Champa basically drove, you know, their, their, uh, their feud um, that spanned a couple of years later. There was mm-hmm. um, of course at uh, a takeover Toronto in November of 2016, they had a two out of three falls match um, against the revival DIY one, uh, the tag team championships there. It was only about three months later, two months later in San Antonio that they ended up losing them uh, back to the authors of pain um, in Chicago in May. So about four months after that, uh, there was what was I think this was a ladder match. It yeah, this a is a ladder match. match. Um, and that is, you know, they lost again. And that's when up on the stage, Champa grabbed Gargano and uh, threw him into the LED and screamed, "This is my moment!" Uh, he gave him, uh, I think he gave him like, didn't he give him like an air raid crash Off through the stage, the, through the table. Yeah, yeah, through the table there. And Gargano is just like, a, he's like a hurt puppy. Like he's like, why? You know, he's like trying to figure out, trying to process mm-hmm. um, what just happened. Um, unfortunately, uh, Champa had suffered uh, an ACL tear at a live event before that. Um, so after that. Uh, Johnny was suffering all sorts of confidence issues. You know, I remember his match against uh, uh, Andrade Almas where Zelina Vega would like throw the the DIY mm-hmm. shirt at him mm-hmm. and it shook him so hard he ended up losing the match. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he found his way back. Um, and uh, after the Almas Gargano match, though, Champa showed up uh, with his crutch and he was, you know, doing the, the thing where he was doing the, the wave thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a couple matches at TakeOver uh, New Orleans in April 2018. Gargano beat Champa in an unsanctioned match. 
Uh, Champa then defeated Gargano in a street fight. And these are all, by the way, like five-star matches. Yeah, yeah, these that, that, just... that New Orleans ones especially is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely killer. Um, they had a last-man-standing match where Champa defeated Gargano, but basically it was a mistake from Gargano. He was going a little too hard and ended up like missing uh, like a running knee and falling off the stage. And Champa was able – he was handcuffed. He was able to get back up to his feet just in time to beat um, the 10 count. Mm-hmm. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, shortly after that, uh, Champa's neck ended up getting, you know, they did like a main rod. They did that weird main roster run. Yeah. Uh, Champa's neck along the way was injured. So he was out for another long spell. And so they were never, you know, they sort of substituted Adam Cole in the title picture with Gargano. Um, and so they never really got back to it. I get the feeling though, once Champa's back from whatever he's got an issue with now, I think it's, it's like a shoulder thing. I forget what it is now. Yeah, um, but uh, once he's back from that, I have no doubt that we're they're going to pick that back up. I mm-hmm. mean, it, I'd be shocked if they didn't, if Triple H is still in charge anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, by the time Chomp comes back. Yeah, I mean, through that whole uh, uh, spring, summer of 2018, this was like the story in professional wrestling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the level of detail, the, 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 the focus on character. And, and and things representing things. It even, dude, it even changed how we perceive the production aspect of mm-hmm. things because you remember that yeah. turn happened after the trademark uh, uh, bug. And yeah. so, like, that showed up and everybody's like, oh, this is over. And the trademark fades away and you get that end credit scene, basically. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. it's like, oh, shit, that was cool. And so now everybody, or from that point on, everybody expects it. Sometimes they deliver, sometimes they wouldn't. But it's funny because even to, even to this day, like on pay-per-views, we're like, is something else going to happen? You know, exactly, when after exactly. the, and, yeah. yeah. And that sort of all started here. Yep. All right, let's move on. Number six. Six. Evolution kick out Randy Orton. Uh, so, of course, Evolution, Larson. It's a mystery, rep- yeah. It was a mystery, but not really, you know, what they represented. The past in Ric Flair, the present in Triple H, and the future in Batista, Mark Jindrak, and Randy Orton. Well, yeah, man, that's a bummer. Jindrak wasn't part of the group. He's the I know, right? Best drop yeah. pick in the history of wrestling. Mike. Oh, absolutely. He was yes. amazing. Yeah, he was. Picadillo. Anyways, uh, Orton joined Evolution in January 2003. Evolution, I, I was, you know, man, I wasn't into Evolution as much as a lot of people were because mm-hmm. they'd be like, sometimes they get too explicit. Like, it'd show like them in the limousine and like they were like hugged up with women and they'd be like picking at Randy Orton's nipples and stuff. And I'm like, I don't need to see this level of intimacy between people on my wrestling programs. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, uh, so it was great because during this period of time when Orton was with Evolution, you know, if you remember before Evolution, he was just sort of a cocky dude and he got injured and they had those terrible like oh, Randy News Network. Those were awful. Segments. Awful. Uh and then when he joined Evolution, that was when he started doing the legend killing stuff. Um, he was Intercontinental Champion for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he became the youngest WWE champion at the age of 24. Yeah. Or world heavyweight champion. One of His world heavyweight champion, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, as part of Evolution, of course, the big gold belt was sort of synonymous with Triple H mm-hmm. at the time. Therefore, and it was top title, too, yeah. <laughs> therefore, it was top title. And so uh, he beat Chris Benoit at SummerSlam 2004 for it. And then the following Raw, Benoit and Orton had a rematch. Orton won that. And afterwards, Evolution came down. Dave Batista with a wonderfully thick head of hair, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he has them on his shoulders, and everybody's like, yeah, you're the man. You're the man. Everybody's celebrating. And then Triple H does this. He does this. And then he goes, 
thumbs down. And then he says, Batista, now. And then Batista drops him. And then they just beat the hell out of him. He's busted open. And here's the interesting thing. Mm. The crowd cheers mm-hmm. <laughs> when all this is going on. <laughs> I'm not sure this is the reaction they wanted. But as soon as Batista dropped Orton, it's not, it's not a gaff. It's not booze. It's cheers. Yeah, you're right. I just watched this right last night. I just, I just thought about that. Yeah. And even at the end when uh, Triple H hits him with pedigree, cheers. Blast him with the belt, cheers. Orton bleeding all over the place. This got destroyed by Evolution, and the crowd is cheering for Evolution. Well, he was kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> so, like, this guy's going around kicking old people in the head. This is probably the appropriate reaction. Yeah, I mean, he kicked uh, Mick Foley down the flat stairs. And who's going to boo Dave Batista? Come on, he's awesome. Yeah, Dave is great. Dave is great. <laughs> and so yeah, it's, he it's, kicked a dude down a flight of stairs. That's yeah. right. And so pretty quickly after this, Triple H won the title right back. I think it was at Unforgiven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then held it for a while. He held it, in fact, I think until Batista beat him for it at the following WrestleMania. They did, you know, though, after this, they did they did let Randy Orton get a lot of shit in. Like he mm-hmm. was sort of hunting the members of evolution mm-hmm. after this. Mm-hmm. I think at one point he came out of a birthday cake or something and attacked him. Um, and so they did, this was actually a really, is similar to like six months later when they did the same thing with Batista, they used evolution to springboard a guy into a very yep. obvious now at this point, legendary singles career. And yes, triple H had the belt bag pretty quickly afterwards, but Randy Orton did okay for himself winning it. Yeah, what, 13 more times yeah, or whatever 13 more title shots. But yeah, it's, 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 and then of course when, when, so like uh, triple H was like, Hey Dave, don't go on the, in the rumble. And Dave's like, I'm going to go in the rumble. And so of course, triple H retains the title. Dave wins the rumble and he have the bit, uh, shortly thereafter where he's got the two clipboards, the two contracts, one with SmackDown, one with Raw, and Dave gives Triple H the thumbs down. That's good stuff. It is you know, stuff. that is if you can I'd actually like to go back and revisit a lot of the evolution stuff because, you know, even God, I saw I read again, I read like a headline on Twitter that Dave Batista recently said something about like he's really happy Triple H is in charge of creative mm-hmm. now because mm-hmm. he's the smartest guy he knows. And so I'm kinda curious that, you know, evolution being lasting a couple of years like it did um, if there's a bit more there than, uh, because I mean, dude, you know, launching the two, the careers of, of Orton and Batista, that's pretty impressive. That's a, it that's is. a damn good track record off the bat. It is, um, for triple H. Cause you know, he was just writing all that shit. That was oh, just probably. triple H doing probably. that shit. Probably. I mean, and, and all told, uh, evolution was not around that long. It's like, no, three they years, weren't basically. Yeah. 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 Right. It was pretty, you know, as, as far as factions go, it was, mm-hmm. I guess even the, it lasted longer than the Shield. Shield was only really two years. They de- debuted in 2012 and then Seth mm-hmm. turned in, in 2014. Sort of curious how much Triple H was involved with the with the Shield breakup stuff. Yeah. I mean, he was there. He was like, yeah. he, he was the plan, you know, Seth yeah. was his plan B. Yep. So it wouldn't shock me if he was heavily involved in all that stuff, man. Anyways. Uh, so, yeah, let's go ahead and move on here to number five. Five. Uh, Kevin Owens turns on Jericho at the Festival of Friendship because he got it. Uh, I went back and watched this again. This was just really terrific stuff. Jericho, much like he is today still in AEW, this guy puts on some really terrific character-based performances. Mm -hmm. um, And whenever there's a big story beat with Chris Jericho, the setting of it, the like the execution of 
said story beat is always done so well. And the attention to detail with Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens here, you know, down to the, you know, last moment where he says, oh, this is great. It's a new list. And then, and he's looking at it, holding it like this. And he says, why is my name on it? And right Mm -hmm. here it says list of KO. Mm -hmm. And it's so perfectly executed it's like something it's like a a scene in a play or a movie or something and that's just what you can get from jericho for 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 his entire career he's been like that you know even going uh before him revealing the list of ko um he drops a really heartfelt genuine promo dude on kevin owens it feels like there's no script there's no bullet points He's speaking from the heart genuinely, not as Chris Jericho, but as Chris Irvine, you know? Is it? it yeah, it, it's, it, it can't be just me that thinks. He knew that this was the end of them being able to travel together, mm-hmm. being able to be, you know, friends on and off screen. Yeah. Because there's got, you got to maintain a little bit of that kayfabe shit, you know, even outside. Um, and, and him saying that to Owens, being able to work with you the, this past year or so, has meant that that just felt so real. Yeah, no, and, and Kev- it added so much. And Kevin Owens has always been really good about. So to precede this, and we never heard what Triple H said to Kevin Owens, but there's a quick thing, no, no audio from their conversation where Triple H is talking to Kevin Owens backstage, mm-hmm. and it's quick. It's not even thirty seconds if memory serves. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what he's saying. You can only assume he's saying. Where's where's NXT Kevin Owens? Where's the Kevin mm-hmm. Owens that I handed this title to? Was that in this episode? Yeah. The January 17th? Okay. February 13th. February yeah. February 13th, yeah. Yeah. Um, never found out what that conversation was about, but you could connect the dots. That yeah, sure. Triple H said something to him that Kevin Owens realized, I got I to gotta do this. Mm-hmm. And watching it back now, the, the, the reservation that Kevin Owens has about doing this until he does it, yeah, you could feel it just by yeah. watching his body language, how he moves, well, how he keeps his distance from Chris until so he the, has to yeah. come closer. You know, the genesis of this, of course, was Goldberg had challenged Kevin Owens for his universal title and Jericho accepted on his behalf mm-hmm. and Jericho or Kevin Owens understood this was a threat and he was giving him this opportunity to lure out Goldberg. And instead, they he brought out Gilberg mm-hmm. as a joke. And Kevin Owens gets mad at Jericho because he's like, dude, I thought we were going to do this to take down Goldberg, which would have also salvaged their friendship. Mm -hmm. Because if you do that, you don't have to turn on Jericho, Mm -hmm. but this guy's a liability at this point. Mm -hmm. And if you can, if you can mitigate that liability, then we can keep on having a good time, but he's a prize fighter. He's here for the gold and the money, you know, and then friendships come second or third priority. Um, and so when he gets mad at him, it's like he's getting mad at him because you ruined our friendship by doing this. You mm-hmm. had an opportunity, the subtext, you had an opportunity to salvage this. And now I feel extra bad because you paid seven thousand dollars for this horrible piece of art. You mm-hmm. got this ugly painting here you want to put in my hand in my home. Mm-hmm. You know, like you went through all this. I feel even worse, but this has to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant stuff. It is really good. And I love the the references they made while Kevin Owens is beating down Chris Jericho. Of course, there's the apron powerbomb that makes you think of him mm-hmm. powerbombing Sami Zayn on the apron in yeah. NXT. And then the final act is when he puts Chris Jericho's face through that TV like Jericho did to Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even going back, I watched 
their first team up was against Enzo and Cass. And Jericho just brings out Owens as sort of like his, um, you know, his backup basically. And then their friendship forms mm-hmm. uh, from there. And, you know, in that, Owens is referencing uh, Sami Zayn as he says, you know, I had a friend. He's talking to Enzo and Cass. He's, I had, a, I had a friend once, but I realized he was dead weight, so I had to get rid of him. And that's foreshadowing what happened mm-hmm. six months later with, mm-hmm. with the Frestful Friendship. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I I never – number one, 2016, 2017, WWE was pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't that I, bad, yeah. Even watching the, the intro to Raw, it was like a pretty snappy song. And, like, the gra- I, I always liked the box Raw graphic, mm-hmm. you know. I always liked that one or the, the rectangular one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and I have no idea – you know, obviously, every time there's an alliance in wrestling, you figure eventually it's going to go downhill. You know, they're going to split. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's fun to go and pick out little seeds like that. It's like, oh, this is going to end no different, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just a shame that it didn't play out as originally planned, them feuding over the Universal title going into WrestleMania. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I understand why they put the belt on Goldberg to eventually lose it to Brock, but that being said how Brock lost to Goldberg at Survivor Series, the previous Survivor Series, pretty much got embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him getting that win back, getting his reputation back, his legitimacy back, was enough to justify that rematch and up the stakes in my mind. It didn't need the title. No, I agree. I, I, I absolutely agree. I understand why they did it too. And, uh, and, and it just, it from a business standpoint, I guess it makes a matter of sense. Although, I'll be honest with you, like, you can do things that are above titles. You can do things that are attractions that don't need the titles. And I think that's that's what that was. That didn't mm-hmm. need to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting both men had titles because Jericho had the U.S. title mm-hmm. and eventually. But it's just like we talk about now. It's, you know, even in 2016, 2017, Vince had a really hard time rolling with who he had. Yeah. And, you know, he instead he chose to go back to 20 years and dust off Goldberg um and and do that thing with Brock Lesnar as opposed to going with and yes I know Chris Jericho was a you know in WCW the same time as Goldberg yeah. but he was a lot more relevant and yes. creative and a master of reinvention so he always felt fresh and relevant he yep. still does yeah um and uh and yeah the, it makes me wonder though what as good as the festival of friendship was cuz I think Jimmy Jacobs had a heavy hand in that yeah, yeah. If Triple H was in charge at the time, I wonder how much, like, how many more beats would we have gotten? How many more story twists and turns could we have gotten? You know, sometimes with Vince, I wonder, man, what a great moment. I wonder how much better it could have been mm-hmm. had there been a proper layer of groundwork, you know, uh, uh, laid laid down. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Where you actually uh, uh, take the steps necessary to build to the moment to give it more emotional heft, more emotional yeah. weight rather than just, all right, here's a moment for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is memorable because you did something I didn't expect or did something that was awesome or whatever, but it's not as memorable as it probably could be because you didn't put in the work necessary to make me more invested. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and that happened yeah. a lot of time with Vince. He's just like, all right, let's do this for the moment to, to mm-hmm. pop a rating or something rather than building to that moment. And you're like, oh, so like the next century we're going to talk about something, a story where they put the work in to build to that moment. And when it happened, like you, you can't stop thinking about it. It stays with you. Number four. Four. 
Sammy and Jey Uso turn their back on the bloodline. So for anybody watching this three years from now, we're currently we're it's pre WrestleMania, post Royal Rumble. We're still uh, you know, processing. We haven't even gotten to this well, by the time this airs, we'll have gotten to the SmackDown yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're anxiously awaiting the SmackDown uh yes. afterwards uh to see what the next step is. This entire story has been moment after moment and segment after segment. It's like Larson, why settle for one big moment when you can have a lot of them? Yep. You know, the trial of Sami Zayn, going back even further uh to what when he became the honorary oos. Mm-hmm. You know, every step of the way has been just nail biter after nail biter and it shows at its best what pro wrestling can be. Yeah. What it probably should have been for a long time, and yet because of Vince McMahon, McMahon has so rarely been. Yeah, no, I agreed a thousand percent. This is again, this is one of those, those those things that in some capacity we were expecting since it yeah. was since Roman versus Kevin Owens was the main event of of the Royal Rumble in twenty twenty three. Again, for people watching this in the in the in the not too distant future, we knew something major had to happen at the end of the show, mm-hmm. and we knew it was going to probably involved. Sami Zayn being kicked out of the bloodline somehow. Mm. I don't know what the, we would put the odds at of them essentially recreating Seth turning on the shield. We'll get to that in a little bit. With Sammy being the one to blast Roman in the back with the chair. Mm. This is one of the few instances where a member of a group or a faction betray another member and it was a baby face turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Usually, yeah. it's babyface faction. Someone turns on the rest of the members, and they go heal the other. Uh, the rest of the faction don't. This is the opposite of that. This is with one chair shot. Sammy saying, "I'm not. I'm not doing this bloodline stuff anymore." Solidifying, he's baby. He's been a babyface more or less for a while, but um, solidifying babyface turn here, and maybe even Jay Uso, at least for the time being, until Roman gets back into his ears, start manipulating him again. That's what I found really the shocking aspect of it. Not me shocking, but surprising was Jay's reaction, mm-hmm. and and how quickly he and Sammy had formed such a bond, such a strong bond, that Jay can't bring himself to act like Jimmy did. He can't do it, you know, and for a variety of reasons. And I think that's the brilliance of it is is, is you watch Jay as Sammy's about to approach uh, Kevin Owens, maybe hit him with that chair, and he can't stand to look. He can't mm-hmm. stand to watch it. You can't stand to watch what Roman is forcing Sammy to do because he was in that position. Mm -hmm. And he ended up following through on what Roman told him to do. Sammy didn't do that. Sammy didn't do that. And I think, in a sense, beyond the friendship they have forged, I think Jay is like, uh, he admires to a degree Sammy for not blasting his family, blasting Kevin Owens. What's surprising about it, I think, might be that we don't expect them to operate in a in a complex manner yeah. you know it's yeah. like we've been fed for so long that you know wrestling is is you know no more complex than a a, a bottom line soap opera when it comes yeah. to the characters yeah. and it can be so much more and mm-hmm. jay's reaction felt so real yeah it and felt complex. S- yeah. and complex yeah it, it the, the fact that he he was like in the corner looking down and almost like he was sort of like in a standing up version of the fetal position. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves. Cause he's like, I can't, I can't do this. Like it's too much. Um, it was, it was just really, just really excellent execution. Yeah, it really was. Uh, and, and an excellent performance and an excellent decision for them 
to have him react in that manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, added, it added so much more emotional heft because it was a situation mm-hmm. where Sammy blasts Roman. And even if Jay just can't bring himself to do anything, if he just stands mm-hmm. there, that's one thing. Yeah. But for him to leave the ring mm-hmm. yeah, and, and to see him so utterly devastated that, you know, for him, his whole kind of two-year story arc is coming full circle where he's got mm-hmm. to revisit all of these emotions that he probably felt. Yeah. When Roman was really putting it to him when Roman yeah. came back. Yeah. And you, you, you add that to the relationship, the trust he and Sammy have forged. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, 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 it's from a, from a per- performance standpoint, it was just excellently. Jay has done excellent work this whole time. The oh, complexity dude. of, He's of what he has yeah. to deal with on a week to week basis, being a member of the bloodline. He's done a magnificent job um, of, of being relatable and and having the audience understand what he's feeling it's not an easy task yeah no no it's it's absolutely outstanding he's doing terrific work let's move on number three three seth betrays the shield so i like that we have these chair shots to the back of roman reigns back to back because this of course was uh the uh throwback that uh, that we all sort of got in the last one in the bloodline you could say this is the inciting incident of of heel roman yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the tribal chief sort of came from this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, the Shield were coming off of a, a feud with Evolution, um, sort of Evolution reborn. Dave Batista uh, was he did the he did the waving goodbye thing, yeah, and, and left because he was not too happy with his stint in WWE um, at that point. This was in 2014, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so later that night, the Shield are in the ring. And Triple H says, uh, you always have a plan. My Triple H isn't great. He says, you always have. You really have a good Triple H. Don't sell yourself short. A plan B. And uh, it turns out that Rollins was that plan B. And it was great because he attacks. He hits Roman Reigns with the chair. And Dean Ambrose doesn't look back. He knows that this is he, he doesn't want to know because he knows. He doesn't want to see it because it'll be real. Yeah. And he, he does the, the, the Moxley oh shit you know and so rollins attacks him as well and uh the shield had broken up and like you said earlier the shield were not together very long Mm -mm. i think it was uh was it 2012 they debuted it was uh survivor series 2012 november 2012 yeah yeah uh and this was uh what midway through yeah june summertime Mm -hmm. of uh 2014 um so yeah less less than two years and uh and then of course that you know again you know, kudos to to the WWE with the Shield, three guys who clearly had main event world multiple world champion Hall of Fame potential, put them together, and and getting it the timing of this split absolutely perfect, and you know Seth Rollins ends up being uh, benefiting greatly from the heel turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, because heel Seth is is best Seth. Oh yeah, um, he was able to be a bit more, you know, uh, you know flamboyant, more villainous, you know, um, and uh, and then Mox, you know, Dean Ambrose went off to do his thing, and Roman Reigns was sort of left in this suspended animation. You know, he kept the theme music, he kept yeah. the 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 shield gear. Yep. The only thing he didn't do was come down through the crowd anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I always appreciated that. And unfortunately, in this case, I don't believe that that was 
character direction that was supposed to, you know, indicate that, oh, this guy is stuck in the past because he's been betrayed. Yeah. I don't think it was meant to be that, but you could totally view it that way. I think it was simply S.H.I.E.L.D. was really over. We want Roman to be really over. We want to associate him with the S.H.I.E.L.D. as much as we can. So therefore, he keeps the theme of the vest. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Although the idea that he was ever able to let go is a pretty fascinating one. You know, Vince McMahon obviously tried and tried and tried and tried to make him a thing. And it wasn't until he became the tribal chief where he sort of divorced himself of all that shield stuff. Um, but the, the memories haunt him, yeah. you know, whether it's Seth Rollins able to play games with him, the only guy to get a win DQ went over him at last year's Royal rumble or this year when Sami Zayn hit him in the back and he collapses in the same manner, the exact same way. And the and, trauma is all over his face. And I think all his demands of the fans to acknowledge him is a reference to them refusing to acknowledge him when he was being pushed as the guy. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, so much of the story, and we've seen it, you know, through the months, through the years, so much of the story is is referencing Roman's failed push the first time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. and, and then, you know, once pandemic hit and Roman, you know, uh, took a break, took a leave from the company and, and, and came back with this new iteration of the character that, man, just, just through the months, how it's formed and how they've been able to reference his past and how it's informed who this character is has been really fascinating. Again, everybody in, in the Bloodline storyline has done a fantastic job of portraying their characters, including Roman. You know, I saw a, a tweet directed at, um, I think it was Solomonster. I think it was Jason mm-hmm. Solomon, mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, is, this, is, is the Bloodline story Jay's story? And he said it's his story as much as it is Sammy's. And no, it's a it's a full ensemble. It is everybody. I mean, the the three main characters. You know, obviously Roman, Sammy, and Jay. They're the focal point. But man, you can look at Solo. You can look at Jimmy, and they have their own thing. Yep. And it's it is a true ensemble effort. This is no one person story. This is a story of family. Yeah. You know, I I don't know that I. It's probably easy to say that the Godfather is you know, Michael's story, but that's, that's not, it's, it's a fa- it's a generation story, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's and that's the what the bloodline is. It totally yeah. does make the same reference comparing yeah. it to the Godfather. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know how much we want to talk about this, but we all know what happened with the shield afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and what it meant after that. So we'll just sort of move on here. Number two, two stone cold, Steve Austin. Shakes hands with Vince McMahon. He turns yeah. his back on the entire, the shocking betrayal of the entire uh, WWE universe, I guess. Yeah, they didn't call it WWE universe back then. That's what it is, though. Oh, it's um, the fans. So I was I was watching some some videos, not so much the, the My Way video package, because we've all seen that several times over. Oh, hey, can I just interject really quick about the sure. My Way video package? I feel like it's kind of overrated. It is. They didn't do nearly as many like segments between these two. They keep on going back to the beer thing. I know. It's like the same two segments just edited different ways. It really is. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's a I great mean, song and it's a great and there are cool moments. It's got good energy, like, yeah. 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 But uh if you watch the interview that Rock and Stone Cold did with JR, mm-hmm. that's where it kind of really lays out the foundations of the story of the match itself, where Stone Cold has a line. I'll try to paraphrase it best I can. Essentially, on a, it says, on a personal level, I don't like you and I need to beat you for that. But on a professional level, essentially saying, and that crosses over with the personal, we're fighting for the top spot. And I need to win this match to be the guy here. 
I need to win it. And he doesn't go so far as to say, and I will do anything to do that, but that's the subtext. Mm-hmm, sure, yeah. But the intensity with which he delivers that. So if it, literally if this was anybody else in WWE at the time other than Stone Cold and the heel turn happened, it, it would be shocking. I think it'd be satisfying to the degree I think they were hoping it would be. Mm-hmm, but since yeah. it was Stone Cold, yeah, who was still the most popular mm-hmm. person in the entire company, still selling merch. Mm-hmm. And it was simply just Stone Cold saying, all right, I think this has run this course. I want to do something different. And Vince saying, I was watching the interview JR did, um, uh, Inside the Ropes thing. And and I guess Vince told JR, I owe it to Steve to give him this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously for the previous three years, you, you can go back to 1987, four years, Stone Cold made a ton of money for the WWF. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And and so they rolled the dice with it. Apparently JR argued, argued against it. Mm. I'm sure he wasn't the only one. I wonder if I do kind of wonder if, you know, they're riding at such a high. They had so many great characters and there was a lot they could have done with it. Um, or there, there was a lot of sort of backup plans, you know, um, if the risk was mitigated a little bit because of their depth. But also, given that Hogan had successfully turned heel after God, however long he was a good guy. Yeah. I wonder if that maybe you know, gave Vince, you know, the idea that, hey, you know what? Crazier things have happened. Let's give it a shot. So JR talked about that. And so right after WrestleMania 17, when Stone Cold turned, Rock was gone making movies. Rock mm, wasn't yeah. there. And okay, so yeah. and so JR, uh, JR was talking about how they were more or less bereft of the third baby face in line to really challenge Austin. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't really have anybody ready to go. Oh, wow. At that moment. Yeah. That's how he put it. You know, I, I guess I could look at the, the roster and see if, you know, that's accurate or not, but that's how he put it was like, we mm-hmm. need, you know, we had obviously tons of talent, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a baby face ready to step up and fill that void at that point. That's yeah. how he put it. Um, and like the huge difference here between Austin and Hogan is that Hulkamania, you could argue, you know, was, Oh, it had petered out steam back in 93, early. you know, yeah, when right, Hogan left yeah. WWF. Well, dude, Whereas, you look at 92. No, you look at that Royal Rumble 92, and that yeah. crowd is already turning on him in favor of Sid. I know. Well, I mean, yeah. it's Sid, so can't really argue that point. <laughs> Whereas he kind of felt like Babyface Stone Cold had some legs left. I know he felt like it had run its course. Um, and he just wanted, I think he, at that point, he wanted to be a heel because he enjoyed it more. Yeah. Um, and apparently, according to JR, like the day after WrestleMania, and he watched the there's an interview or a promo that Stone Cold does with Vince in the ring, and he mm-hmm. teases that he's going to stun him at one point. He's like, "No, nah, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that to Mr. McMahon." Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Jr. said like almost instantly, Stone Cold's like, "Yeah, I should have done that." And he's <laughs> talked about that, you know. And yeah. That's what they started the transition to. Like, all right, I'm not going to get over as a menacing heel because people aren't going to buy into it. If I do like, if I start stunning everybody, the crowd is going to cheer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. They went the comedic route. And there's a lot of really good stuff that Stone Cold did as a comedic heel. Yeah, there was. I, I, I remember watching 17 live, and I forget yeah. if at that point in 2001, if you and I were watching it together or not. I watched it live. I don't remember if it was. I don't remember where I was, though. I know. I watched uh, the I one. The parents' house. I watched the, the, the Rock versus Hogan the following year. No. When was this? This was what year was this? This was it's 2001, right? Yeah. Okay, so after this is when, yeah, they had just bought WCW. Yeah. The following year at that point, because by Survivor Series, I think is when Austin turned back uh, face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was the following year he had the NWO match. So I was watching at 
that bar that we used to go to that would show it. What, Yankee Doodles? Yeah, Yankee Doodles. Yeah. yeah. I watched 2002 there. 2001, I don't know who I watched it with. I think but, it was uh, house, but I could be wrong. I just remember being really disappointed. When Austin shook McMahon's hand, I remember I remember thinking, that's lame. Yeah. It, the thing about it, too, is that it's not just like one act on Vince or Austin's part that kind of signifies, oh, there's a heel turn here. There's a protracted segment mm-hmm. that starts with Vince going in and pulling the rock off a cover after a mm-hmm. people's elbow. And then Austin says, hey, hand me a chair, Vince. And he does. And you think, all right, chair shot, match over. No. There's a lot more that happens before the There's handshake. a lot more match. I didn't go yeah. back and watch this particular. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot more. Huh. There's like three more false finishes. Are people just rock. super confused? Like, what the hell? What? Yeah. Why are they working in tandem? Yeah, and I think <laughs> I it probably was, was too. <laughs> if it was a situation where there's like one decisive moment that Stone Cold uses Vince's help to win the match, maybe it would have been more impactful and, and maybe worked better. I don't think it worked well at all. My thing, I just remember the lasting image of Stone Cold. I was, and I the, the word didn't even have any meaning back then. I don't remember. I remember the word coming into usage until like two years ago. Simp. I, I was just like, he, he looks so weak right now. I'm like, this is pathetic. <laughs> and it's not like, it to me, it wasn't interesting pathetic. It was just no. like, it, it it was the first time I think I ever was like, God, Vince is just desperate right now. Like, this is terrible storytelling right here. I don't yeah. like this. Um, but, uh, and I don't know, maybe if I watched it back today and watched, you know, what they were going to do with it, maybe things would be different. Because I've heard people like, I just recently I've heard people on Twitter defend this move and i was like when i watched this live this was a terrible idea yeah, i hated yeah. this even the finish of the match i mean it's a great great match the crowd's mm-hmm. super into it there's all sorts of awesome false finishes but at the end of the match you don't get a decisive stun or anything stone cold takes the chair you know hits it with uh hits the rock of the gut with it a few times and the and the rock rolls over on his back and he blasts him with the chair in the back a couple times turns him over and pins him Oh, we're, okay, yeah. There's not even like a decisive stunner. It's not even like mm. a chair shot to the head. The, the head, the rock kicks out of the chair shot to the head. Oh, yeah. But a few body blows, and then the rock doesn't kick out of that. Yeah, yeah, It's right. like, it kind of felt like it needs something a little more decisive mm-hmm. to yeah, finish the yeah. match, you know? But Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I remember, I remember not being into this. But yeah, like you said, you know, the comedy stuff later on, it was cool. And then eventually when they were like, oh, we need the real Stone Cold. We need Stone Cold. When he finally came back and the crowd popped big because he was, you know, stunning people again and being mm-hmm. cool and, and being a rattlesnake again. Mm-hmm. Um, that that stuff was fine, like in November. But uh, but yeah, no, I remember this because everybody always talks about, oh, 17 is such a great match. And it might be, but that ending to me always so- soiled it. It was yeah. just, oh, yeah. man. All right, man, let's dive into number one. One. Hogan's the third man, brother. Oh, yep. boy. The amount of garbage that was thrown into this ring was absolutely shocking. Of course, Hogan joining Hall and Nash and forming the new world organization of wrestling um, was uh, was a, a shock sent through the, the, the wrestling world. I always love going back because you can get on, on the internet, you can see like, old message board threads of people like who they think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And of course there was all sorts of speculation. Was it Bret Hart? Cause he didn't have a contract with WWF at the time. Was it Lex Luger? He was already in the company, but he actually would have made some amount of sense. Was it going to be sting? Yeah. Cause he'd already kind of walked out. No, that was, yeah. Luger, sorry. That was no, that, yeah. Uh, was it uh, <clears throat> macho man might've made some sense. Um, 
you know, I think the WWF hotline had suggested that it might have been Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think in the Wrestling Observer, if I'm not mistaken, it was floated out there that it might be Midian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or no, Mabel. Mabel, right. Mabel. Mabel yeah. Mabel. Midian. Midian. Mabel. Yeah, Mabel. Yeah. And I think there's like a there's like a shirt out there. I forget if it's like Bischoff put it out or somebody put it out that Mabel's the third man. Um but uh but yeah, a lot of a lot of different ideas out there and it ended up being like the shocker of shockers. Apparently Hogan Sting was ready to go if Hogan got cold feet at the last minute and admittedly, you know, even though today is of course fuck Hulk Hogan day as it is every day, yes. For Hogan to ditch everything that he knew that generated his success and actually go out there and do this it's pretty interesting that he actually that he went through with that it, being said you can see the hesitancy on his face his entire walk out to the ring oh he doesn't want to do this no he doesn't <laughs> do yeah he's like good thing Postmania went under brother because otherwise i'd never be able to do this um i mean at this point Hulkamania, not only in WWF, but WCW has completely and totally run its course. This is like his last gasp attempt to remain relevant. It is, and it, and it worked because for years after this, he still was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got that ridiculous contract from WCW 98. Yeah. Probably largely on the success of the NWO. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it would have been interesting to see how this storyline would have gone had it been Brett or Sting, someone who didn't have the creative control clause in their contract would have been more of a team effort because for all, uh, pretty quickly, even though the NWO started to really expand the ranks, the spotlight was really focused on Hogan. Not so much. I know Hall and Nash got their, their opportunities, but they were the ones who led the way and started it, mm-hmm. you know, and if it had been Brett sting, even Luger, any of the other uh, names mentioned as possible third men, would the direction of the storyline bit maybe been a bit different um, and not so Hogan focused, <laughs> you know, dude, I, I don't well, here, know. Sorry, let me get this point in real quick. It probably would have been Hogan focused, but he would have been on the opposite side. The one fighting the NWO rather than sting. Yeah. Good luck. The crowd have crapped all over that, you know, man, I mean, look, just judging by, and you know, going back to, to when we were in college back in 98, watching this stuff before we knew, what kind of person Hulk Hogan is? Um, to me, the the strength of the NWO, so much of it lied in Hogan because it was essentially Hall and Nash were able to take Superman, a guy who was unbeatable, mm-hmm. and turn him bad, and all that came with that. And on top of that, you sort of also understood that Hogan and Bischoff were actually running the show. So there was a little bit like, oh, who are they going to let get over him? You know, that's mm-hmm. why the Goldberg Hogan match, as as bad as Goldberg was, like that, you know, to do that in, on Nitro in front of sixty thousand people was it felt big. Mm-hmm. And so Hogan, oh, yeah. he did for what he was, for what he is, he made the NWO feel like a big deal. I don't know that anybody else in that position could have done that. I don't know that Sting could have or Bret Hart or Lex Luger. Well, I think, here's the thing. Sting could have as it relates to his position in WCW. On a national level, no. Sting was babyface pretty much since he debuted WCW. No? Yeah, sure. And, and yeah. for him to turn heel would have been shocking within the world of WCW. 
Mm-hmm. Hogan turning heel was shocking in the world of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, there's a difference there. And like just, in terms, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of kind of generating the the buzz around it, would Sting turning have had the same impact? No. Um, and you know, as you mentioned, the Goldberg match against Hogan would have a heel Sting would have carried the same amount of weight as Hogan. No. I'm just kind of spitballing here, thinking, okay, where could the story have gone that might have been different and maybe, maybe more satisfying. Since you know you, you go back to uh, uh, Starcade when Hogan tried to politic his way into beating Sting when in no universe should that have ever happened. Well, because okay. it doesn't make sense for the story. The yeah, I I do wonder if because you know the one thing that WWF had on WCW was the Attitude Era had that cool factor, you know. So if they had if if Hall and Nash were sort of running their show and they got I don't know Bret Hart wasn't like the coolest person in the world. Um, if they had, if they got Sting and made him look like you know Crow Sting or something like that, but he still had sort of, if they somehow had Sting with an edge to him, mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I'm getting at if the NWO was sort of like a mini Attitude Era running wild in WCW as opposed to Leathery Hogan, you know, yeah, yeah. lumping his way all over the place. If they were able to inject, kind of like, you know, how original Bullet Club had that cool thing to it that NWO NWO was cool. But then, like, you know, they brought Big Show or they brought the Giant on and they just yeah, bloated yeah. and, you know, it, it just became very commercialized. The idea that, oh, we're selling this merchandise out in the in the in the parking lot as opposed to mm-hmm. inside the arena. Mm-hmm. And these vignettes were all grainy black and white. Well, if it had if it had like a real level of like, oh, this is actually really cool. Yeah. You know, kind of like the ad, like WWF was doing at the time. If there yeah, was yeah. an edge to it, a danger to it. Exactly. That's what I was going to use. Then maybe it could have infused that into WCW's product. And, and, and because then you have like a cool version of the NWO with like really neat guys feuding with like Raven and his guys. And what if they actually because Raven was fucking cool. Shit. Yeah, Raven was awesome. And what if they had pushed his group a little bit better mm-hmm. and made them a little more dangerous than they mm-hmm. were? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've got, I don't know. I think maybe if, if WCW had any idea on how to, you know, make their product a bit cooler because Hogan wasn't in the NWO, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe that would have been a possibility. Yeah. It's such a big, like, what if that it's oh, just I, not. Totally, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. Right. But I think you're onto something, maybe. Anyways, uh, yeah, that's going to do it. We've got some uh, honorable, honorable mentions, mentions here as yes. well. Uh, so it, it, let's talk New Japan professional wrestling oh, yeah. in, the, in the recent past. Uh, I mean, obviously, Bullet Club, they love their turns. They've kicked out multiple leaders. Uh, but Jay White and Gato leaving chaos, especially mm-hmm. Gato leaving Okada's side mm-hmm. uh, and joining Bullet Club and basically taking over mm-hmm. um, was pretty shocking. It was. It pretty much elevated Jay White to like main event status like right away. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, yeah. That whole storyline. And it was, it, was, it was really well done. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, to have him be invited by Kenny Omega to join Bullet Club, he turns, turns Kenny down to join chaos only to betray Okada. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Freebirds. Yeah. Betraying the Von Ericks on Ooh. Christmas Day. Oh, nice present there, Freebirds. Yeah. A steel cage door to the head. Exactly. Exactly. Um, mega powers exploding. Oh, yeah. A few that lasted, what, almost two years? Oh, man. A Coke-fueled explosion 
all over Miss Elizabeth, who never felt comfortable being on camera. <laughs> that shit's so weird. It is. I'm, I want to go back and revisit the Mega Powers, man, because like that shit's so weird. Everybody talks like, oh, it's the best story in wrestling. Oh yeah. It was. It was good. It was really good for the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it was one of the few times they actually took, you know, a protracted amount of time, almost two years, to tell the story of of the two most popular wrestlers in WWF. Were you still watching forces. when the Mega Powers exploded, Larson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you all into it? Did you had you picked a side? I mean, I want to say I was Team Macho Man, but I'm not. A, I don't know. I was young. I don't know. It's okay, man. Sorry if you're Team Hogan. It's all good. I don't think I was. I don't. Nobody's gonna cancel you. You know, here's the thing. I don't remember be, ever being like really huge into Hogan. Yeah. I just don't remember. Like I never bought any Hogan stuff. Oh man, I, had a I don't remember having any college. of Hogan's toys. Yeah. I thought it was um, cool. I thought it looked so cool with his leathery skin. <laughs> it's obvious. His obvious back pain. He was working, walking yeah, through. I know. I know. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't remember honestly. Like whether it was Team Hogan or, or Team Macho Man, I was like, "Wow, this is interesting." You're like, "I just want some good wrestling." That's all I, I care want. About. Yeah, I'm rooting for good wrestling here. You're like, "I want work rate." I'm Team Work, work rate, rate, high work rate, quality stories. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Dad, can you tell me how to spell work rate?" <laughs> Doing my own vocabulary his, here. Uh, list See, here. man, you should have started your own newsletter back then. I guess so. Yeah, you'd be making a fortune. Kayfabe. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of Count Out. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. Uh, Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye.